Brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, if the parable of the Good Samaritan is the passage of God's Word to teach us kindness, and I think it is, then the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the passage of Scripture to teach us faithfulness. The seventh of the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. So this morning, let us hear God's call to faithfulness through the faithfulness of these humble men. By way of introduction, let's give a a definition to the word faithfulness. Uh, What does God's word mean when it speaks of faithfulness? It obviously has to do with obedience to God, but the words obedience and faithfulness do not mean exactly the same thing because faithfulness refers to obedience, not just in one particular moment, not just for a season. Faithfulness refers to a continued obedience over an extended period of time, even throughout a lifetime. Even more, faithfulness usually conveys the idea of remaining obedient to God even when it gets hard, even when obedience becomes costly. Therefore, I give you this definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness is an enduring love for God in which we persevere in obedience, even at the cost of our very lives. Also, by way of introduction, let it be pointed out how important it is for us to hear both the definition of faithfulness and the call to faithfulness in God's word. More and more, we are living in what the scholars are calling a post-Christian culture. For years, the values and morals of our culture have been significantly shaped by the Christian faith. In turn, the values and morals of our culture have encouraged faithful Christian living. For years, our culture has affirmed and encouraged things like honesty and integrity, kindness and thoughtfulness toward others, sexual purity and faithfulness in marriage, the fear of God and honoring the Lord's day. But more and more, our culture and and even the church now are hedging and slacking on such matters of obedience. And in some cases, Both the wider culture as well as some parts of the church are even affirming and encouraging the sinful opposite of faithfulness to God. This is certainly uh, an appropriate time to revisit the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In our own day, we find ourselves in a situation very similar to theirs. We too are foreigners in a strange land living in a pagan culture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were children of the exile. They were men of Israel who had been carried off to the land of Babylon. And isn't that where the apostle Peter says we are? His first letter is addressed to the church in this way, to those who are elect exiles. And later in 1 Peter 1.17, he writes, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And yet there in Babylon, by the grace of God, even amid his judgment for Israel's sin, 
There Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find, found themselves very comfortable. They had gained favor in the eyes of the king and had been appointed to high positions in the government of Babylon. And like them, we too find ourselves quite comfortable in most days, hardly without a single need or unmet desire. So let us also be found in their company in terms of their faithfulness. Despite being exiles in a strange land, regardless of how comfortable they had become, yet they were faithful to their God and ours. To use our definition, they had an enduring love for God in which they persevered in obedience, even at the cost of their own lives. And they were faithful to God in these three ways. First of all, they were faithful in that they were willing to let God be their judge. The first step of faithfulness is is to let God be your judge. Daniel 3.16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Consider with me the, the, the significance of this statement. We have no need to answer you in this matter. It must have startled and, and amazed the, the guards to hear these prisoners say such a thing to the king. Surely what the guards expected to hear was what they had always heard. Uh, excuses, pleas for mercy, flattery, and promises of, of obedience if, if given a second chance. Surely they expected to hear, uh, O king, please know that your servants are are hard of hearing. We we did not hear the music calling us to come and and bow down. Uh, Play the music again right now, and and we will fall down before your golden image. And by the way, what a a beautiful image it is, uh, so befitting of your glory as, as king of Babylon. Please know that we are and forever will be your faithful servants, O king. So here were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the case against them couldn't have been more open and shut. They were in clear violation of the king's decree. There were multiple influential witnesses against them. And yet here they were before such a powerful king who might cast them to their deaths just so he wouldn't be late for his dinner The slightest wave of his hand would mean death for them in a fiery furnace. And their first words to the king were these, We have no need to answer you in this matter. Let God be our judge, they were saying. We don't ultimately have to answer to you, O Nebuchadnezzar. We have to answer to God. Brothers and sisters, this is where faithfulness must begin with us as well. The view of God as judge is is not very popular anymore. And there may be a part of us that prefers to have a more easygoing view of God. But the Christian faith is a revealed religion. We are not free to make these things up and to decide for ourselves who God is. And we've already heard the Apostle Peter writing these words, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. 
So as much as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego might have feared the king as they stood there before him, they feared God even more. Nowadays, we, we, we don't even fear uh, kings and, and presidents. Uh, they say that most people who have the chance to talk to the president, uh, they go in saying, uh, uh, now the president is going to hear my concerns. Uh, this is my chance to tell him what he needs to hear. But when they enter the Oval Office, they are, they are struck dumb. Uh, they see the president and they, and they can't even talk. They can't remember what they were going to say. And yet we might tend to have the same anticipation in, in standing before God one day. We think, well, I'll have my say and, and he'll, say, uh, he'll see that I mean well and, and, and we'll get along just fine. And I don't think you can argue that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not afraid. It wasn't that they were fearless of the king before whom they stood. It was just, as we've said, they feared God more than this earthly king. But it wasn't just their fear of God. In other words, it wasn't that they felt trapped between two great powers. Uh, It wasn't that they were simply more terrified of God than they were terrified of Nebuchadnezzar. They feared God, but they also loved God, and they trusted Him to preserve them. And that's the second step of faithfulness for the believer. Trust God to preserve you. In other words, our fear of God is not a terror of God. It's the fear that the psalmist speaks of in Psalm 130, uh, when he writes, If you, O God, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood in covenant relationship with God, just as we do. And so even as they feared God, they, they knew His grace and forgiveness as well. In fact, the reason they feared God is because they loved Him for His gracious forgiveness of their sins. And so they also trusted Him to preserve them. In verse 17, their words before the king continue, If this be so, namely, that that they are to be cast into a, a burning, fiery furnace, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Again, the guards must have been flabbergasted. Uh, Now these three men were contradicting the king. Nebuchadnezzar had just said to them in verse 15, And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And now they turn around and say to him, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of your hand, O king. So they not only contradict the king, They even defied him and his power over them. And this will be part of faithfulness to God for us too. The world will make its claims and we must defy them. The world says there is no God. We answer to the contrary. There is a God. He is creator of all things and he is revealed to us through his son, Jesus Christ. The world says fear men. We answer no. We will fear God. The world says, live for pleasure and prestige and seek my approval. We answer, no, 
we will live for God, for we already have his gracious approval by the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. To live as a Christian in this world is to contradict this world and even to defy this world at every turn. And in in order to do this, we must fear God more than men, more than even the most powerful ruler of this world. And we must be trusting in God to preserve us. But here we must listen very carefully to what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say. Because they don't say to the king, our God won't let you hurt us. Our God won't allow you to throw us into the furnace to kill us. Instead, they say, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. So so first they confess that God is able to deliver them from the fire. But the thing that they are sure that God will do, is deliver them from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Our God is able to deliver us from the the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. We don't know for sure, but it would seem hard to imagine that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were able to foresee and anticipate what actually happened. That having gone into the fire, they would walk back out as well. Instead, it seems more likely that they had the same hope we do, the hope of eternal life, even in death. In other words, they were in essence saying, go ahead and and kill us if you will, but by our very deaths, God will deliver us from your hand forever. Near the place where I grew up, there is a town called Battleground. And it's called Battleground because there is a memorial there to a battle from years ago uh, fought between white men and a number of united Indian tribes. Uh, The story is a rather interesting one because the Indians lost the battle in, in part because their leader had claimed to have put a spell on them that would keep them from being harmed by the, by the bullets of the white man. The claim proved to be false. However, as they charged into battle only to be gunned down. And we too might want to think that, that God will make us invincible. No one will be able to hurt us, or, or surely God uh, wouldn't allow his people to suffer certain things in this life. But it wasn't true for the apostles. All of them except one were eventually martyred for their faith. And it wasn't true for scores of others throughout church history. So many of the reformers were not spared from being burned at the stake. And yet God has preserved each and every one of them, even through death. He has preserved them unto eternal life by their faith in Jesus Christ. I don't claim to be a man of great wisdom, but I do believe I'm wiser now than I was, say, five years ago. And, and one of the things I've learned over the past several years is, is that we often teach our children a certain deception. Uh, we don't do it on purpose, mind you, 
But I think it's possible that we teach our children this particular falsehood. We, we tell them, always do the right thing and God will take care of you. Or, always do the right thing and God will make it work out in the end. And there may be a sense in, in which this is actually a true statement, but what often gets understood is that God won't let bad things happen to you so long as you do the right thing. Instead, we need to understand that obedience can be a very costly thing. And God is under no obligation to keep us from suffering or to reward us in some way for our obedience to Him. Yes, we must always seek to do the right thing, but we must leave it at that without knowing whether God will keep us from the suffering that results, without knowing whether God will make it work out in the end to our earthly favor. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were indeed delivered from the fiery furnace. But does this story constitute a a promise from God that He will always deliver us from suffering, from death itself, uh, when we are faithful to Him? As Scripture interprets Scripture, surely we must take into account Joseph and the years he spent in a dungeon following his, his refusal of Potiphar's wife. Surely we must remember David being pursued by Saul, even though he had shown nothing but respect for Saul as God's anointed. Surely we must recall John the Baptist, who I think is one of the most haunting characters in Scripture. Years of faithful service, wearing camel skin and eating bugs to survive. Behold the Lamb of God, he proclaimed, And then off to prison, a short time later, he dies in prison because the daughter of a woman who hates him performs a sensual dance and earns the right to have his head cut off. And surely we need to remember the story recorded in Acts 12, where Peter is miraculously released from prison, but not before James loses his own head. The bottom line is that we need to pray, we need to pay attention to what God actually promises in His Word. He never promises to keep us from suffering, not even to keep us from being killed by our enemies. But He does promise to deliver us, whether by life or by death, to deliver us unto eternal life in His new and glorious creation. And that brings us to a third step in faithfulness, that we seek to honor God even unto death. We see this in verse 17, but we see it again in verse 18, when they, when they say, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, we're willing to die. We would rather die honoring our God than live bowing down to your hunk of metal. Revelation 12, verse 2, puts it this way, They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Think about all the excuses that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego might have come up with. 
they might have uh, got together and said, uh, you know, God knows where our hearts are. Uh, Even if we go ahead and bow down to this statue, God knows that we love him. Or they might have said, uh, you know, it's it's only a short ceremony. Uh, Before and after, we will be faithful to God. So what could it hurt to bow down? Or they might have said, you know, there's, there's, there's so much more we can do for God alive rather than dead. Why not give in on this point and, and be around for the greater good on other points? And these are exactly the excuses for unfaithfulness that we hear today. God knows where our hearts are. What does it matter how, or what does it matter how we worship him? Uh, what does it matter what words we sing to God and, uh, if our hearts are well-intentioned? Uh, and doesn't God need us around to, to do good and so many other things that he might look the other way in this small matter? And so what fools these, these three men were? What, what fools to be so legalistic? What, what fools to be so stuck on God's word? Come on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't you know that God is love? He would have forgiven you. And aren't there more important things to take a stand on? But brothers and sisters, look what they gained by their faithfulness. They gained the opportunity to see the power of God to deliver them even in this life. It's true, God might have decided not to bring them back out of the furnace. And such would have been a matter of deliverance as well. But on this occasion, he did bring them out. And he just may do that for us as well. As he did for so many, or or as he did so many times for the apostles. Until finally they were given the great privilege of dying for Christ. And as we are faithful, we may see the power of God at work in us. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What power is he talking about? The power behind our faithfulness, the power to make us persevere in obedience to God, even when it gets harder, even when it gets hard and then harder. And then harder still. And he writes, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our bodies. What they also gained was a powerful witness before the world. Verse 26 of Daniel 3 goes on to tell how everyone gathered around them amazed. They were not burned at all. They didn't even smell of smoke. And in verse 28, King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't help but exclaim, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. And the king even recognized that it was all because they trusted in him, he said, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. 
So the call to faithfulness is sounded upon our ears this morning. And, and if we want to see the power of God, it won't come as we compromise the, the truth of God's word. It, it won't come as we sing uh, the power of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the power of the Lord. If we want to see the power of God, then let us go forth into the world in all our weakness and trembling yet being faithful to Christ in all things. It's when we uphold the word of God and take a stand for truth that God will be so powerfully at work in us to reveal Christ through us. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Next time we'll look at self-control. But this morning the call of God is to walk by the Spirit in faithfulness to Him. Amen. Grant, O Lord, that we would be your faithful servants. Fill us with your Spirit, for it can only be that we are faithful when you indeed produce faithfulness in us. Forgive us our, our, our fear when our fear overtakes our faith. O Lord, grant us the faith to overcome our fear and perhaps even be willing to die for you, our Lord and our Savior, who has promised us resurrection and eternal life. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.